0: Welcome to another episode of the Lions Led by Donkeys podcast. I'm Joe, and that is Nick.
1: That's right. This is our once a week fucking
0: sleepover. It's not a sleepover. It's weird. It's a weird sleepover since I'm. I turn 30 tomorrow. You'll be
1: fine. We always do it.
0: Yeah, it's weird that I turned 30 and I'm like still alive. Did not expect to live this long.
1: I think that's how we all feel. Yeah. That's so yeah. i told my parents.
0: You guys have to start planning at a really young age.
1: I told them, give me my insurance money. Just throw it in the casket with me.
0: You're like 22. That's <sighs> all you need. <laughs> it's all you need. You didn't even start losing your hair yet. Well, I did when I was 22. It's getting thin, you dick. <laughs>
1: Which sucks. Because even the fucking barber shop is like, Yo, dude, you got some really thin hair in the back of your head. I was like, oh, sweet, cool, yeah. balding.
0: Yeah. Hey, at least you made it. I think I started balding when I was twenty, but it's cause I won the genetic lottery and uh my dad was like completely fucking bald by the time he was twenty five. But you
1: got that good Armenian blood.
0: That just means I have hair literally everywhere except where I'm balding.
1: And a cell phone plan to come with
0: it. Yeah, I uh when I turned eighteen, if I didn't join the army, I actually had a job lined up as a skincare specialist <laughs> in a mall
1: at Sweet a kiosk. kiosk. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> Real pushy. <laughs> Real, 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 anyway. So uh, today is episode five, uh, which is five episodes longer than we ever thought we'd go. That's very true. Um, and today we were talking about the great and powerful Pavel Grachev, um, the drunkest and most corrupt ministers of defense who's probably ever existed. Yeah, he's in, also the, in kept modern his times. Word. He did. No, he definitely went back on his word on a few times. One time. It, Definitely so, and we'll talk about that.
1: Very true. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: I mean, so, uh, Pavel Suyerevich Grachev was born in the Tula Oblast in the Soviet Socialist Republic of Russia on January 1st, 1948. He entered military service in 1965 in the Airborne Corps and graduated from the Rezaan Higher Military Academy in 1969. And I, I guess I should probably warn our listeners now. That. there's a lot of names that we have no business even attempting to pronounce.
1: Yeah, we'll try our best. We'll yeah, try. We'll try. Like so, there's I, so many fucking names that are shouldn't even exist.
0: I I apologize ahead of time for whatever blood feed I'm about to start.
1: <laughs> it's just vowels.
0: Yeah, and backwards ours. <laughs> uh, he uh he was generally regarded as a uh, mediocre at best by his colleagues. Um, he was you know passable. He wasn't a great military officer he wasn't Kadorna and graduated at the top of his class he wasn't custer and graduated at the bottom of his class he <laughs> was he was there he was a bump on a log and nobody really noticed him a little um, speed bump just drunk off his fucking ass the whole time though I mean and drunk even for Russians like people noticed how fucked up he was and this is Soviet times where right. pretty much every source ever says the military was nothing but a drunken mess the whole time. Um, but yeah, he was so drunk that even they were like, bro, you need to slow it down. And that's insane. Which something. is fucking insane. Yeah. Um, yeah, in 1981, soon after graduating the Froonzy Min- uh, Military Academy, he was deployed to Afghanistan uh, where he served as the deputy commander to the 345th Guards Airborne Regiment. Um, which is strange that I apparently have something in common with this guy that we both fought in Afghanistan in the same area um i we may have pooped in the same ditch probably yeah we're poop brothers it's like eskimo brothers but significantly worse better yeah (laughs) i guess it is better um so his unit managed to find itself in just about the middle of every single major soviet operation of the war Uh, and that included operation storm 333 which was a covert soviet operation to assassinate the afghan president Hafizullah amin and replace him with the communist-friendly uh al And that's actually what started the entire war.
1: But this is also the Russian way of clandestine. Which have we...
0: It was a joke. It, it was fucking terrible. Like, they just choppered in. Um, well, they didn't chopper in. It was a civilian airliner um, that was just painted. Well, it was a, a Russian military airliner. It was painted to be a civilian airliner and just full of paratroopers. Um, all outfitted in (laughs) Afghan national army uniform. And, uh, the funny part was there was also a regular Soviet army attachment that was in on this operation, but they weren't told that, Hey, there's going to be some dudes, (laughs) some very Caucasian looking motherfuckers.
1: All they painted was like a little sign that says, don't worry. Well, no like, big deal. Yeah, pretty much. do pay attention uh, to this. It was plane. it was a friendly pretty fire horrible.
0: clusterfuck yeah. uh, entirely. Like the the paratroopers at the ground, the Russian regulars started shooting at them. Um, but it was an assault on the presidential compound itself uh, to overthrow the president of Afghanistan. Um, the unit also found itself involved in the battle of Hill thirty two thirty four, which is one of the most famous battles of the entire war. Uh, there wasn't really. Um, a whole lot, you know, everybody says it's like the Soviets-Vietnam where uh, effectively they were all firing, fighting over nameless hills who just had numbers and nobody really gave a shit about them. Um, their tactical importance would run out as soon as the Soviets left. Um, same situation. But this battle involved um, one platoon of Soviet paratroopers and nearly 500 enemy fighters, uh, including special forces from Pakistan who were right. fighting on our behalf. And by ours, I mean the United States. I mean not there might be a International listener, too, who's tuned into us. Yeah. But, uh, obviously, the U.S. was heavily involved in the Mujahideen activity against the Soviet military. But, we're actually going to get much deeper involved in that in a further episode that we have planned out. So, we'll, we'll talk about that later. Right. Um, we'll go too much detail in the battle, because there isn't what we're talking about here. But, just so you know, there is a totally bitchin' movie, actually. Since we spent the entire last episode shit-talking Soviet war movies... Um, the Russians actually came out with a really good movie called The Ninth Company, and you should totally watch it. I think it's still on Netflix. Oh, I
1: think I've fucking um, seen it. It's
0: the only Russian war movie that isn't, like, total propaganda, and I say that as someone who grew up watching, you know, Black Hawk Down and Pearl Harbor, which are, like, nothing but dripping with propaganda. <sighs> Pearl but Harbor was so bad. It was, it's a Michael Bay movie. That ends, uh, like, how to pay the bills. Oh, God. Um... Yeah, but The Ninth Company isn't just propaganda. It's a pretty solid war movie, and like they actually point out good points about how the war is totally pointless and meaningless for Soviets. They do throw in this weird bottom, bottom, magical fucking necklace at the end, but if you just ignore it, it's pretty cool. <laughs> anyway, um, Grouchev was awarded the title of the hero of the Soviet Union for executing Combat missions with minimal casualties, um, which we assume by Soviet standards means he attempted, he just didn't attempt to make like a sweet pair of boots out of the skin of all his dead conscripts. (laughs) Um, Because the Soviet war was fucking terrible in Afghanistan. They lost tons of people over that.
1: I just want to know what minimal casualties is to the Soviets at Um, this time.
0: So minimal, they just didn't report them. Um, which means they were probably terrible. Yeah. In our <laughs> yeah. So there's like, holy shit. Um, it should be noted by all accounts, he was pretty much drunk the whole time. Um, which, if going by soldiers' accounts of the Soviet Afghan War, which pretty much everybody is trashed all the time, um, he was like even drunker than drunk Russian standards, like even worse than what we were talking about before. Um, the Soviets drank so heavily during the Afghan War, there's actually a, a plane known as the MiG 25. That used alcohol to cool its radar systems and uh it used like a ton and a half of ethanol alcohol and uh the soldiers that gave it the flying restaurant because <laughs> they kept drinking all of its booze. It's um, like
1: any mechanic I know.
0: Yeah. Like if I can imagine the mechanics that we had in the army, uh if there was a way to drink JP eight yeah. and not fucking die, they would do it.
1: All the fucking redneck mechanics I know. Yeah.
0: And, but they would find like, a fucking way. So. Yeah, totally. Um, but like a Grand Chef was so drunk that once again someone made a note of it and they're drinking fucking jet alcohol. Um, but this you know, this is the reason why US soldiers aren't allowed to drink when we deploy. Um, because if you stick a whole bunch of of us in some desolate outpost and then actually gave us access to booze, do you know how little fucking war fighting that would have actually gotten done? Like there's literally nothing else to do out there. The Taliban could've just walked right in and shot me as I was passed out next to the port of shit or covered in my own puke. Like there wouldn't have been a war to fight. And I I I'm assuming that might be the lesson to learn from the Soviets venture in Afghanistan.
1: Yeah, usually after a day binge of drinking or a night binge of drinking, I usually like to take a good nap.
0: Yeah, you don't like to really go on like a twelve hour counter terrorist patrol to right. the mountains.
1: <laughs> Touch myself a little bit. Yeah. Watch a little bit of shows here and there. Drink some more afterwards. Yeah.
0: Uh, so, Gradchev returned from Afghanistan to rank a Major General and graduated from the General Staff College in 1990, after which he was appointed the head of all airborne troops in the USSR. That's a, you know, a pretty big posting. And paratroopers were a huge part of Soviet propaganda. Um, and at this point, he hasn't really shown himself to be totally incompetent. Maybe he's like tripping and falling backwards into success or something. Um, you know, that
1: pe- shit worked. Yeah. like <laughs> what the fuck?
0: People noted he was actually a really good small unit commander, but, uh, whenever he was put in charge of large scale operations, um, like operation magistral or, or, anything else that happened in the Soviet uh, war in Afghanistan, he fucked it up bad. And really the only reason why the Soviets succeeded is because they just had overwhelming firepower most of the time. Um, So, whenever the picture got larger than what his drunk ass could see, five feet in front of him, it just went to hell.
1: Yeah, well, we will get onto this throughout the whole podcast, but he was known for his incompetence in military leadership. His time in the large scale. Right.
0: He was a great small unit commander, but, you know, a great platoon leader doesn't exactly make a great company commander.
1: Right. And then again, we also talk about how it was undocumented, like, small casualties in their eyes. Right. So we don't exactly know. Well, this is the Soviet
0: the times. Is. They still, in, to this day, insist like 15,000 Soviets die in this war. And it's significantly more than that. Right. Um, everybody knows that. They just won't admit it. Right. Um, not to mention, they, they fucking lost a ton of people. Like, they're still finding random old white-haired dudes <laughs> that people thought were Afghans. Turns out, And they're, they're going to bust out into a yeah. slob squat and they start speaking Russian. Sloth
1: Squad, they all of a sudden have tracksuits on. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, if... He was so good at some things and just so bad at others. Like, if he was an ice cream flavor, he'd be like pralines and dick.
1: (laughs) Only the finest (laughs) ice cream flavor. Yeah. (laughs) He he was
0: not good at everything. Um, But this is where things get really complicated. um, Because... This might surprise you. We're not super well versed on the downfall of the Soviet Union because I was born in 1988, as the right. Afghan War was ending. And Nick, you were born what, ninety one or Fucking two? Four, yeah, some shit like that. So you were born as well, the Chechen War was starting, right in the nineties, <laughs> like the
1: end of the Cold War, Soviet right. Union. Yeah, it was pretty simple, but not very. It was really complicated and violent.
0: Yeah. Like we're not boomers. We didn't like live through this, so we only know what we taught ourselves. I mean we're both public school kids from the hood, so right.
1: And the Soviet was playing fucking Divide and Conquer around this time.
0: Fuck what? You're thinking of Command and Conquer. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> and I did play Command and Conquer, and <laughs> so fuck you. Um so during the chaotic breakup of the USSR he ended up falling into the open position of first deputy minister of defense, uh, mostly due to the fact he was really loyal to one Boris Yeltsin, the chairman of the presidium of the Soviet Union. Um, now, loyal, uh, this is like during chaotic times, loyalty means a whole lot more than competence. And he was, not only was he loyal, he was a loyal military man. Um, a military man who was a hero. Like, he had a title that said it, so... That was way more important than him getting belligerently hammered and vomiting, vomiting all over the place in the middle of meetings or whatever else he did. Um, so in 1991, there uh, there's an attempted coup by Kremlin hardliners in the dying gasp to hold on to the USSR. Um, this was during um, Glasnost when the Soviet Union was attempting to become more free in that they were going to loosen restrictions on press and everything else, and you know obviously this some people that were up top knew this was going to be an issue. Right. When, you know, when you're know, when you in a country of you know, half a billion people or whatever the population was, and uh, you know that everybody waits in line for clothes and bread and jeans. And, and potatoes. Yeah, and whatever else, um, you're okay with it because everybody's got to do it. But right. then when the press is freed up and you find out the truth that you know, some people don't actually have to do this, um, you're going to start getting pretty upset. Um, so they knew that, and they wanted to stop it. Um, so they started a fucking coup. Um, so they, uh, the paratroopers that Gratchev was still in charge of, uh, were, were ordered to assault the Russian parliament building where Yeltsin was held up. Gratchev may have been smart enough to know that he owed the guy his political position or was drunk and Mrs. Old Drinking Buddy because they were, dr- they were drinking and hunting right. buddies. Yeah. Uh, either way, he defected to Yeltsin's side. Um, now, without going into the complexities of the post-Soviet politics, um, I'll just explain it as simply as I possibly can. Um, Yelts- uh, Yeltsin won; the coup uh, leaders did not, um, and Yeltsin nearly got kicked out of office uh, a couple years later again. And Gorbachev just continually kept him in it. So, even when Russia became the or when the Soviet Russia became so- the Russian Federation, free from the shackles of the USSR. Um, you know the shackles they created for themselves because this is Russia. This isn't like Armenia, Kyrgyzstan, or Uzbekistan. Like they did this to themselves. Um, Russia had what was called the Supreme Soviet. It was a it was their parliament. It was Congress. It was you know whatever the legislating body of government was was called. Uh, But Yeltsin fucking hated them um, because he wouldn't let them do whatever they whatever he wanted. He was you know this since the twenties. This is a country that it's leader was effectively ruling by decree now that yeltsin was in charge he kind of wanted to run it that way and couldn't
1: this again was around the time of really confusing with this whole soviet era type shit
0: yeah it was it was a new country was a young country they haven't been the soviet union since they were Tsarist russia so they didn't really know what a functioning parliament looked like right um Eventually, Yeltsin got to the point where he decided to take his ball and go home, and simply fired the fucking Supreme Soviet. Um, In case you're wondering, and and yeah, in case you were wondering how the fuck this was legal, it wasn't. It was strictly prohibited in the Russian Constitution that the Supreme Soviet could not be dismissed by the president. Um, This was combined with massive public unrest because they apparently knew the Constitution better than the president did.
1: We're making shit up as we go. Yeah. Um, we're confused. Let's do this shit.
0: I mean, this is also uh, combined with the free fall of the post-Soviet economy. Um, they lost half of their GDP in a couple of years. You know, that's nuts. That, yeah. that doesn't happen. People don't really talk about that, uh, but people were hungry, they're poor, and they were pissed, and they saw it as Yeltsin's fault. People took to the streets. This is the first time they're able to do that without getting fucking disappeared by KGB. Um and maybe they're a little pissed off that the president just fired half the goddamn government. Uh, the Supreme Soviet, instead of just walking away, got together and decided that no, in fact, Yeltsin's a dick, and he's fired for violating the constitution. Uh, <laughs> Yeltsin instead called up his buddy Grachev and told him to make with the tanks. And Grachev made with the fucking tanks. He rolled do the out of shit his. That you do. <laughs> yeah, he's like, he's like, you know what? Make those cannons sing. He rolled out of bed probably surrounded by a graveyard of vodka bottles, not entirely sure where he was, covered his own vomit and piss, and read off his guy's buddy's tanks. Before long, Gratchev's soldiers shelled the shit out of the parliament building until his drinking buddy got his way. In the end, estimates put the number of dead at around 2,000, the Supreme Soviet was dissolved, and Yeltsin instead created the state Duma, uh, which still exists to this day. Grachev was now totally secure in his position as minister of defense. Right. Um, not only did the president fucking own one, he's pulled him out of the fire, his ass out of the fire twice now. Um, but, you know, now things kind of leveled out. There wasn't coups every couple of years, and you know Russia could get on its way trying to form uh, something what resembling a they were modern state. Perform? They're just trying to form Russia, which right. is a lot like forming every other country with a lot more blood. Um, Grachev, now decided, you know, it's a great time. Cold War is over, you know. Soviet Union doesn't exist anymore. Cold War is over. It's now time to launch a massive reformation of the Russian military. Uh, see, after the collapse of the Soviet army, which was mostly Russian, but the the bill of the of the army, the massive uh, defense spending was not all on Russia's shoulders back in the day. Now it was. <laughs> and they could can't not afford it. Can't on the fucking check on that one. Yeah, they can't just be like, hey, Azerbaijan, Armenia, pay your fucking taxes. <laughs> yeah. We get to fund these... Mo- yeah, that didn't happen anymore. Um, the country and
1: dash on that shit.
0: Yeah, the country was completely broke. Uh, they couldn't hope to really reform the army. Um, Grachev's plan was to slash the army in half, which is almost entirely made up of conscripts. And replace them with contract soldiers in an attempt to professionalize the army. Much of the same thing the U.S. did decades before. They are just following their lead, you know. Uh, but because Russia completely broke, it never happened. In fact, the defense ministry, led by Grachev, only received half the money it asked for in 1993. Not even enough to pay the soldiers that it actually had. And conscripts didn't make a lot of money. Um, worse... It left no money at all for maintaining the vast amount of equipment its military had in its stores or train the fucking conscripts. It was rumored at this time due to lack of money that soldiers didn't even receive basic training.
1: They you don't just,
0: need that shit. Yeah. Uh, you don't even need to fire rifle. Uh, just get sent out to your first duty station. Yeah. And uh, everybody just kind of wiped You'll their hands. you figure it out. I mean. Finger guns. It's Yeah. It's kind of like a gap year. Gratchev probably wasn't assuming he's was about to be balls deep in a giant war that involved tens of thousands of soldiers. No. And he didn't think this would probably bite him in the ass. But, I mean, in general, it's still a stupid idea.
1: Well, he probably didn't expect that all to happen as the Soviet Union was following and they were trying to form their own mother Russia, their government, and whatever the fuck they were trying to do.
0: Well, another reason why the fucking military reformation (laughs) failed is because the Russians' military is being stripped mined for just about everything um, by everybody in any position of influence, including Gratchev himself.
1: Like, selling shit off? Everything.
0: <laughs> like, I would say everything that wasn't bolted down, but they sold those too. <laughs> Countless small arms and vehicles, helicopters, and jets were sold off to they had anybody going with money. a business sale going yeah. on. And I never thought I would say this, but they actually had a pretty decent representation of how this went down in the Nicolas Cage movie, Lord of War.
1: The no. noted
0: documentarian <laughs> Nicolas Cage. Uh, they sold everything. And... It wasn't necessarily 100% legal, but it wasn't illegal either. It was like this weird gray zone, and there was no law in place to stop them. So, everything. The generals all lined their pockets as the military stripped down to skeleton parts. Yeah, the fire sale. Yeah. By 1993, um, assets that were marked for sale by the generals were in the amount of 200 trillion rubles, which was four times the amount of Russia's actual budget at the time for the military. And they pocketed the shit. None of this shit went back to the Ministry of Defense. None of this shit went back and to America the state. Yeah, I mean, they pocketed it all. And it was all legal. The efforts that were put in place to hide it were half-assed at best. Uh, according to the president's decrees, the sales of the assets belonging to the Soviet Armed Forces stationed in the former East Germany were supposed to be sold for the construction of new houses to settle the officer- officers who were all returning back to Mother Russia from the former satellite state postings. Instead, this is where our buddy Grachev comes back into play. He was personally involved in the gathering these funds. Instead, he bought himself two brand new Mercedes five hundred Without even trying to hide it, the press dubbed him Mercedes Pasha, which is a uh, old Turkish word for like aristocracy. <laughs> uh, I know what you're thinking: two cars, even Mercedes is isn't even that much of an embezzlement of government funds. I mean, shit, look at the current EPA head, Scott Pruitt. That guy spends more money than two cars worth on desks for his office. Um, well, the two cars equaled the cost of housing for about a 100,000 homeless Russian military officers at the time.
1: What kind of Mercedes-Benz?
0: 500. 500 S's.
1: 500 S's?
0: That's what they were called in the, in the journalist's uh, expose. So, fucking re- buy one <laughs> right. Uh, it's probably like 15 bucks now. Uh, so remember how I, I said the like press? pieces of shit? Yeah, <laughs> holy <dude>. fuck, <laughs> they're, they're only luxury by 1993 Russia fuck? standards. Like, they only look good if you're smoking marble reds in a tracksuit.
1: 100,000 fucking, 100, fucking housey. Yeah. Holy shit, those houses must I don't fucking want fucking sucked. I don't
0: want to know what the Mercedes looked like as much as I want to know what the planned housing looked like. No,
1: I want to know what the planned housing looked like. I
0: think it was just built out of other shittier conscripts.
1: <laughs> Holy shit, these look like...
0: <laughs> <This> <laughs> they even like, are, like shit. <laughs> that's fucking Soviet luxury, bro. He gave off as a
1: gift. Like, that's horse shit. He
0: gave one off as a gift and he kept the other one for himself. Like, no, he wasn't even trying guess, to no. hide it.
1: That's horseshit. I wouldn't want that as a gift. Yeah,
0: like, here's a gift, like, thanks, but could you not? Yeah. I want to pay insurance on this.
1: <laughs> it's not even fucking done. Yeah. Fuck you, dude. So... We gotta trade titles? Fuck, we gotta to go to the DMV. God damn it. Now nah, it's a whole day.
0: You remember how I said the press knew about Gratchev's embezzling and gave him a nickname? Well, Gratchev knew the press knew about what he was doing, because obviously he wasn't trying to hide it. Um, so... Gratchev dispatched several officers under his command to take care of these uppity journalists in a way that would make Vladimir Putin smile. And I'm pretty sure when he smiles, when Vladimir Putin actually cracks a smile, you just hear the screaming of children. <laughs> like, <laughs> this shit don't happen, but it would happen here. So one day, the journalist, a 27-year-old individual named Dmitry Kolkov, received a call at work, urging him to go to the Moscow train station and pick up a saddle- uh, suitcase... That was full of documents that would further incriminate Russia's general staff and state Duma. Like, it, this is a juicy fucking pot. Sounds that, like a
1: fucking career opener for him. Right.
0: It almost sounds like a fucking trap. Yes. Like. <laughs> Where's Admiral Akbar? Right. So, Kolodov ran down to the station, picked the suitcase up, and brought it back to his office, ready to fucking, you know, fight the power. He opened it, and the goddamn thing exploded like something out of an Acme cartoon. <laughs>
1: spy versus Spy.
0: Yeah, every single person that was connected to this assassination has been connected to Gratchev in some way. Um, All of them have been involved in the paratrooper uh, units back to the time when Gratchev was in charge of them in Afghanistan, to include the colonel who was in charge of the intelligence brands of the paratroopers. And if you're asking if anybody's ever been sent for us, the answer is, of course, no, they haven't. This is Russia. They probably get promoted or something. Um, one colonel did get arrested, and nothing ever came of it. All right. Mate. Grachev, for you know his benefit, said that it was totally the mafia that blew this journalist up, even though Koldov never was even writing about the mafia. Give him a
1: fucking break, dude. Yeah. <laughs> no, it wasn't him.
0: Yeah. He was like, fuck, yeah. I am too hungover to deal with this. It was mafia. Meanwhile, in the Russian Federation as a whole, ethnic and religious tensions were at an all-time high. The Soviets kept this out under a tight grip. I mean, they had, like, hundreds of different ethnicities and tons of different religions all under their one Iron Curtain um, that made up their oh, yeah. massive empire. But people knew what happened if you stuck your neck out behind the Iron Curtain. Like, the mass deportations and engineered starvations had happened before, like, we're, we're about to talk about the first Chechen war here. Oh, the dirty war. Um, but it should be noted that decades before, like within the same generation of Chechens, they had all been fucking forcefully deported because yeah. people, the Soviets were worried about Chechenian nationalism. Before then, the Ukrainians were forced on the Holodomar, which is like you know, an engineered starvation famine that killed tons of people. It's a horrible fucking genocide that most people don't even know about no. to this day. Um, so people knew to stay in line. Uh, the Soviets had their ways to stamp out dissident, but this is the Russian Federation we're talking about, and their and their weakness is no secret. Um, they are hardly able to keep their government operating, let alone bring the shambling corpse of a military to bear on anybody who threatened to break away. Most of these smaller republics did fall in line. They saw the benefit of being part of the federation. One, however, did not. In 1993. <laughs> The Chechen Republic of Ichkeria declared full independence from the Russian Federation, with former Soviet Air Force General Zhokar Dudayev as its president. Almost immediately afterwards, a full-on Chechen civil war broke out.
1: Fucking Russia didn't seem as independent at all. They didn't even seem, they were like, well... No,
0: they never fucking accepted their independence.
1: Right, no. They always said, no, you're part of us.
0: And I... (laughs) I think the other smaller republics were smart enough to understand that, like, it, you know, there was uh, the Oshetias and Ingoshetias who wanted independence but just kind of stayed in the federation. Right.
1: Um,
0: because they knew that Russia was never going to accept them breaking away. Exactly.
1: And <clears throat> and has had its fair shares of invaders in the past.
0: Like most people and that in the Romans, Caucasus Mountains.
1: Like, and the cool thing about the Caucasus Mountains... Not really that cool, but whatever. The thing that they all no. I do I them.
0: would argue that the people from the Caucasus Mountains are pretty awesome. I mean, I might be you Armenian. You may be from the Caucasus <laughs> Mountains. <laughs> I'm clearly not biased in <laughs> these situations. Though, <laughs> in comparison, the Armenians have not been as good as fighting off invaders because we've just been conquered no, by you guys everybody.
1: Were fucking like, oh, mock? you guys want to fight? Like, all right, cool,
0: let's go. We'll join you. <laughs>
1: yeah, you guys are pretty cool. You guys seem like a pretty good fucking yeah. people to hang out with. But the Caucasus. The Caucasians of the Caucasus Mountains have been stated as saying, like, that only Caucasians can beat Caucasians.
0: And, you know, Russia ended up proving them wrong on that in the second Chechen War. Right, which... But that's that, ten years don't from go now. We into that
1: at, at all, because that's after, what, 2000... That, that was
0: 2000.
1: 2000,
0: 2001? Yeah, yeah, something around there. No, yeah, something no, around like there. I don't remember. Yeah, fuck it. Two, yeah, we'll have to look into that. I didn't... 2000 res- time frame. It It was the new millennium. Um, and, unfo- yeah, and unfortunately for the Chechens the Russians still thought it was the 1980s right. but, <laughs> um, but you know afterwards after Dudayev uh, declared independence um, a full on Chechen civil war broke out even though the vast majority of Chechens favored splitting with Russia um, Chechens had a deep independence streak among them um, and the main reason why the civil war existed is the people fighting them weren't actually Chechen um, it quickly became obvious that Russia was supplying arms training mercenaries and regulars to pro-Russian Chechens.
1: And they did this clandestine-like.
0: Yeah, like, and some would call them the <laughs> little green men from Crimea. It's almost like this is a thing they do, like, yeah. on the fucking reg. But or that there's that's still happening in the Donbas today in Ukraine.
1: And Russian clandestine-like shit. It's fucking not clandestine
0: at all. Hey, people call it the Russian bear for a a reason and not the Russian ninja. All right. They're not good at this shit. Unless they're stabbing people in the calf with a fucking umbrella full of plutonium (laughs) or ricin. Um, So Russia adamantly denied they had anything to do with the violence in the region. Though they obviously didn't accept the region's attempt to break away. Um, like most Russian foreign entanglements, it had the nuance of a drunken bear. Uh, Twenty Russian regulars were captured by Dudayev's men, along with 80 other Russian civilians who worked for the FSK, or the Federal Counterintelligence Agency. After pointing out that the, criminal was, the, the Kremlin was fist deep in their affairs and still not winning, mind you, Yeltsin has back against the wall.
1: You'd be fist deep and not fucking winning.
0: Yeah, apparently not. What
1: the fuck?
0: Yeah, because Russia was definitely fist-deep up in Chechnya, and they were... That's
1: true.
0: They were fighting back. Um, but, you know, Yeltsin has back against the wall. Yeltsin probably didn't want a war. Um, no. He talked a big game. He talked, you know, how they need to fall back in line with the Federation, but the 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 verbiage that was used in the war of, um, you know, forcing them back into constitutional law and rule... That was what Grachev said. That was his idea. This whole war was effectively his idea. Right. Um, and his good friend Yeltsin was totally... I mean, why wouldn't he trust him? At this point, grachev had never done him dirty. He only could trust him. Though, um, it was probably a good point to say that, like, uh, maybe you should think more about this before committing a war against your own people. Yeah. Um, because... Not-
1: Trust your fucking frat buddy that you drink with on a regular basis.
0: Yeah, and, and even then, I mean, you have to realize that Chechens, while an ethnic minority, had been part of the Russian SFR through the entirety of the Soviet Union. Like, they were Russians.
1: Right. But I wouldn't even say the ethnic minority, because there were, like, as many mountains as there were in the fucking Caucasus Mountains, were just as much, much ethnicities and uh, languages Oh sure, like, there's Chechens there's and Ingushetians and
0: Oshetians all across the border. Like, there's a
1: shit ton
0: of, like, well, all of them are minorities in comparison to the Russian right. majority. But I mean, all of those minorities were a thing, and they knew, they knew that these, especially the Chechens, want independence, um, right? Because that's why they were forcibly deported in the first place. Um, but. Gratchev began to poke and prod his president about a military solution to the Chechen problem. He told Yeltsin that he could, quote, retake Grozny with a single parachute regiment within a couple of hours of open warfare. Yeltsin, and was probably his worst decision as president, and that's saying something, believed him. On December 4th of 1994, the Russian Air Force began an indiscriminate carpet bombing campaign of Chechnya. Kratchev boasted that the invasion would be, quote, a bloodless blitzkrieg that won't last past the 20th. On the 11th of the same month, Russian forces launched a three pr- prong attack towards the capital of Grozny.
1: Their blitzkrieg.
0: Yeah, and the Russian blitzkrieg is like, apparently way slower and shittier because I feel like the German Blitzkrieg of World War II would actually be better.
1: They're going through shitty mountains in no, the I, still,
0: I still feel like the Wehrmacht of World War II would have done a better job than the I Russian fucking, army of 1994. They would
1: probably do the same shit. They'd be looking at each other side by side fucking history and history like, fuck you, we'll make it first and I, keep going. I'm willing Not go fucking
0: anywhere. I'm willing to bet Hitler's master race soldiers from fucking <laughs> 70 goddamn years ago Over would be better foot. trained blonde and blue eye, god damn it. I'm willing to bet they're better trained and equipped than the fucking dudes Oh yeah, they're better trained and equipped even though these dudes hypothetically all had AKs.
1: Caucasus Mountains? No. Fucking no way.
0: Uh, last time I checked, the Wehrmacht took this area over in World War II without that much of an issue. No, most of them all want to join the Germans to kill the Russians, but still, that's a exactly. different argument entirely. <laughs> they weren't even
1: trying. They were just like, eh, hey, whatever. I don't
0: um, take it. Now, Gratschow probably should have known that the Russian military was a total shell of its former self. He had helped make it that way. The conscripts, many of whom had been drafted during the lean post-Soviet times, almost to a man, had never even fired the rifle. They had not been any maneuver training, army-wide, for two years. And you have to think, so they haven't done maneuver training in two years. Right. A conscript's term of service is two years. So that means a minority of the conscripts in this giant fucking army had actually done real live maneuver training in any sort of unit level.
1: You're just there to get beat and not learn anything. No,
0: Apparently. you're Yeah, you're you're there to serve the motherland, man.
1: Apparently so.
0: That means like the only people in the entire military who had, taken, who had definitely taken part in these trainings were like senior leadership. Um even worse, Grachev should own the strength of the enemy. Because the rebels had a few weapons, vehicles, and jets. And mountains. Well, they loved their
1: fucking mountains.
0: More importantly than that is that they had weapons and materials that Grachev himself, as Minister of Defense, had fucking sold duty of. Yeah, they had a fire sale. Yeah, Who
1: wouldn't take that?
0: Over 40,000 small arms, hundreds of anti-tank weapons... 50 tanks and a couple dozen armored vehicles, along with a handful of aircraft, were all sold to Chechnya right before independence. So they knew on paper what they had. And they were still better armed. But
1: who, who had the receipt for that? Fucking Grafchub did. <laughs> yeah. He was looking at this shit. No fucking way.
0: Did a dacha all built up, built on fucking Dude I have's money. So. <laughs> So the U.S. Army actually runs into issues kind of like these all the time. This is my counterpoint. It's not a good one, but I felt like I had to make some kind of counterpoint here. Um, during here the peak you. of the Iraq and Afghan wars, uh, the Army would take soldiers who hadn't done any actual field craft or maneuver training in months or maybe even years, put them through a fast-paced pre-deployment cycle um, of training and marksmanship and everything else, for, and they'd be good to go in about six months, right? they do that.
1: Oh, no, yeah, they do that.
0: Yeah, but the Russians wouldn't be so lucky. The Russian army would go from peacetime to full on military invasion within two weeks.
1: Plenty of time.
0: Yeah, they got this.
1: <laughs> you got this, bro.
0: Most, yeah. <laughs> Do the shot of Aki, you'll be right. <laughs> Most of the soldiers that went over the border into Chechnya were using old, hand me down weapons, as Gratiffitz Fitzel buff the good ones. They'd be driving vehicles that hardly functioned and were decades old because the, they were the only ones worthless enough to not be bought. Um, the soldiers are also more, operatorless so yeah that's uh, that's operator level <laughs> maintenance so that's on them yeah
1: totally their fucking
0: fault the uh, soldiers are mostly unpainted, untrained and uh, cor- completely and totally demoralized at the order to invade some units just didn't go <laughs> <laughs> fuck holy shit <laughs> <laughs> they just stayed at the border yeah. like nah fuck bro that dude <laughs> well
1: the funny thing about that was uh there was like and they knew about the invasion. They knew they were coming for Grozny because uh, there were Chechen women praying Russian soldiers not to go invade Grozny.
0: Everybody knew it'd be a bad idea. Like,
1: everybody was like, well, "No, nah, they won't. They're not S- that stupid."
0: Soviet doctrine of nineteen ninety four might as well be the Soviet doctrine of nineteen eighty four, and that was like old conventional warfare of you storm in and you take the capital, war's over. Right, and that might work when you're fighting a uniformed military service. Um, but they weren't. They were fighting battle-hardened guerrilla fighters who were outfitted better than their standing army was.
1: Who loved the fucking mountains.
0: And they loved the chance to kill some Russians. After generations of oppression.
1: Mountains are fucking cool, too. <laughs>
0: um. So, some units who didn't just refuse to move, just sabotaged their fucking equipment so they couldn't leave.
1: What the fuck? Deadline this shit now. thousands
0: of conscripts just ran off in the middle of the night so they didn't have to fight.
1: (laughs) It's fucking awesome. In
0: one incident, Gratchoff's crack paratroopers, the dudes that he fawned over, uh, were dropped behind enemy lines. They quickly realized that the radios didn't work and they could not talk to anybody for support or anything. And that they've effectively been abandoned. They just walked up to the first Chechen patrol and surrendered to them. This is like and the like, SEALs just saying, breaking. fuck it, and surrendering to ISIS. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> like, <laughs> that
1: almost reminds me of the meme, I told you about this, with uh, uh, Chief Wiggum's son from The Simpsons, Yeah, going, I'm clandestine <laughs> with it wearing a SEAL shirt with a trident on it. Not clandestine at all.
0: <laughs> so in comparison, the Chechen rebels were motivated and led by an intelligent uh, core of former Soviet military officers, like dude, I himself was a general, and he wasn't the only one. There's fucking dozens of them. I mean, when there's mass conscription from every sector of Soviet life, you're going to end up training effectively everybody who could possibly end up putting up weapons against you. Right. Um, in most cases, they're better armed and trained than their Russian counterparts. They moved in small groups and were highly mobile. I mean, they, they knew how to stand up and fight because they were trained in the old Soviet doctrine, but they knew how to fight old Soviet doctrine because right. they were trained in it. So they decided small, uh, quick-moving attack groups like these same dudes probably fought in Afghanistan were the perfect way to defeat this army. They wreaked havoc on the Russian columns and left long trails of burned-out vehicles and dead soldiers behind them. In return, Grashev ordered mass artillery barrages and bombings of every sign of life in an attempt to keep the Chechens at bay. It was like indiscriminate World War II type shit. It's like thousands of guns and... Missile batteries all firing at the same time. It's pretty much all the Russians knew how to do.
1: Just fuck shit up and continue to fuck shit up.
0: I mean, it was successful in beating the enemy back. But it was a whole lot more successful in killing tens of thousands of civilians. It's
1: hard not to be successful if you think that way. Yeah, if you kill everybody. Yeah.
0: (laughs) After withstanding weeks of bombardment, the Chechens retreated to the capital of Grozny. The Russians... Not wanting to rush into a city of angry, dug-in enemy fighters, decided to flatten it instead. They unleashed what has become the worst bombing Europe has seen since the destruction of Dresden during World War II. This is including rockets and artillery and carpet bombing, full-scale annihilation of an entire modern city. The Russians made several attempts to break into the capital, all of them ending in horrible, bloody failure. And one attack, the Russian Army managed to lose the entirety of the 131st Mykot Motor Rifle Brigade in an aborted attack on a train station. Almost lost to a man. I mean, now, think of any military engagement that we have been in in our lives. If the U.S. Army lost an entire fucking brigade, you'd think some changes might happen. Yes. Like, when two dudes die... Commanders get fired.
1: Oh, yeah. No, yeah. For sure.
0: And, yeah, Grachev lost an entire brigade. And this is a motor rifle brigade. This is, like, they're supposed to be, like, the backbone of the entire Soviet military. And is and still the backbone of the Russian Federation military. They're operating on the old motor rifles, supported by tanks, supported by close support helicopters, who are also getting fucked up, too.
1: Right.
0: Um, you know, uh, Grachev, seeing the writing on the wall, decided, fuck it. I don't need to change my tactics because they're still working. I mean, Russia is still slowly inching forward. They're just, like, crawling over bodies of their own dead to get there. Um,
1: A slow pace. Yeah,
0: the the road is paved with their dead. Um, He attacked over and over again. He was, at one point, quoted as saying, uh, because he was asked... You know, why are you sending motor rifle units in, supported by light infantry, and not tanks? He said, "Quote: Only incompetent so commander stupid. would ever send tanks into the streets of oh, Grozny." Geez. He was absolutely right in that. The streets were pretty close together, making maneuver difficult. The old Soviet block apartments were too tall. Uh, the tanks can uh, elevate up to engage enemies based on the roofs. Right. Um, and most of these buildings had basements in them, uh, so they couldn't lower their guns it, to take them into there. We got
1: this about Pavel's house.
0: Same thing, yeah.
1: Exact same shit.
0: Except the whole city now, not just one house. Yeah,
1: no, not one house. Fucking a whole city of people who are trying to fuck you up because this city was still had shit ton of civilians and a shit ton of military personnel into it. It's still heavily populated at the time.
0: And even though they've been bombing indiscriminately, there's still large swaths of the city that have something standing that looks like buildings, right? But, I mean, almost every military that has learned over the last 30 years, sending armor into a modern city is just a really good way to kill a lot of tankers.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, so, Grachev was obviously too smart to do that. That was until New Year's Eve 1995. Um, Grachev was celebrating his birthday in Moscow. You know, Grachev's normal, like, baseline behavior was drunken asshole, like, just sloshed all the time.
1: Fucking rage. So
0: you can only imagine how absol- absolutely wasted he was getting on his birthday. In the midst of this party, I don't know, I've done a lot of dumb things on my birthday. Like, I turned 30 on Sunday. I'm probably not going to do anything stupid. Uh, well, in comparison. Um, I've done all sorts of dumb shit. I've vomited out of my moving car Wolf. going down the highway. I've gotten into bar fights. You know, you name it. Um, Samesies
1: on that. I think...
0: Grachev got one up on all of us and one oh, up yeah. on everybody for sure. probably in the history of ever. He got Damn. trashed and decided to order a massive armored assault on Grozny.
1: But I don't know why anybody that would take that order would just be like, yeah dude, he's he's just really fucked up, don't listen to really that. They I was like, oh yeah, take that for everything. I
0: don't know, like there's like, not some like it's not like he had some phone where he just picked up and there was like linked to every fucking, the fucking battalion in the black yeah.
1: phone, pick up the red phone, fucking attack. Do
0: it. Yeah, like, somebody was dumb enough to think this was a good idea, yeah. even though they knew he was fucked up. I mean, because, like, you know, it's a birthday party, so he's probably shit-faced at, like, 2 a.m. Um, but, yeah. Under strict orders, the tanks and armed vehicles drove into the city at a parade formation. In a fucking parade formation. Yeah. <laughs> what happened next... What the fuck? ...is best described by a surviving Russian officer who said, quote... The Chechens just took out the first vehicle of the column and the last, and the rest were trapped in between. He also added, uh, then it was like a shooting gallery. It was a slaughter.
1: But they looked good while doing it. They didn't, though. Great formation.
0: Lots of, I mean, I imagine their fur hats caught fire really easily. Um, (laughs) Most of the Spetsnaz, which is the Russian special forces. Right. Surrender, just straight up drop the weapons and surrender to the Chechens.
1: Fuck this.
0: Quote, after wandering around hopelessly for three days without food, let alone any clear idea of what they were supposed to do, a Russian lieutenant, uh, lieutenant colonel was quoted when he returned from Chechen captivity, said, quote, the only order was to go forward without explanations as what they should do, where they should go, and what they should attack. Where the fuck
1: is forward?
0: Yeah. Russian soldiers were taken prisoner, did not even know why they were there and who they were fighting. So well,
1: It almost reminds me of the Forrest Gump scene where he's playing football and they have to tell him when to stop. Yeah. And when to go forward. Like, run! They have to tell him when to stop when he hits the end zone.
0: Yeah. Except there's just some asshole that, like from the Kremlin, Kremlin holding up a sign that said, forward. Yeah. But nobody was there nobody to hold up a sign that said, say, stop.
1: Or where the fuck forward goes. Yeah.
0: Um, when what when one Russian soldier was asked uh, by reporters what he was doing there, he didn't know who was fighting who. Um, when more captured Russian soldiers were shown on TV by the Chechens, I wouldn't know who I was
1: fighting with the Chechens. <laughs> A shit ton of ethnicities in that.
0: <laughs> the mothers went to Grozny to negotiate the releases of their sons. Um, These negotiations took place in the center of the city without Russian government approval or assistance and while Russian artillery was landing all around them. Some of the prisoners were released on the promise they would never fight in Chechnya again. In the end, Grachev's birthday fuck-up would cost the lives of an estimated 5,000 soldiers and 200 tanks and armored vehicles.
1: Which is really fucking interesting.
0: This is in the fucking 90s. Right,
1: and apparently, according to the general staff of Russian armed forces, 3,000, a little over 3,800 troops were killed throughout the whole Chechen war, the first Chechen war.
0: Right, and the real, is, like, uh, I think it's the Center for Human Rights puts it at something close to over 10,000. Right,
1: and which is in fucking insane. And they which,
0: get their numbers based on, you know, the Union of uh, Soldiers' Mothers uh, and other uh, Soldiers' Mothers groups within Russia, which are obviously more reliable than the state themselves, because, I mean, they're the moms of the soldiers. they like, hey, Vladimir didn't fucking come back. <laughs> like...
1: And uh, the Chechen casualties can be estimated to reach up to a little over 100,000, which is an insane difference. Yeah,
0: a little over two years.
1: Yeah, two years of just straight fighting for what Russians didn't even know what the fuck they were fighting for, didn't even know what the fuck they were doing there, or they were fighting.
0: They didn't have anything against the Chechens. Right. And that, that's it the thing. It was all just
1: a fucking, like...
0: And they were demoralized to begin with. Right. Before thousands they of them started fighting. They didn't know lying.
1: what the fuck they were doing.
0: They were never given any training or they orders. Never fired
1: a rifle. It
0: was like, like if you graduated from basic training, like I graduated from basic training at Fort Knox, and I got in a bus, and then the next time the bus door opened, I was in Iraq, and I had no idea how the fuck I got there. <laughs> like it's like some really shitty magician this is trick. Different. This isn't Germany. <laughs> um. So I know what you're thinking. Actually, you're not thinking this because I don't know why you would, but. You know, this wouldn't happen if Grachev would have got his way and reformed the army. He actually did, that contract soldier part. He succeeded in that to some point, um, in a way. It was hard to keep conscripts in the ranks for any long period of time once the war started. Um, any conscript that wasn't totally smooth-brained just ran for it, or maimed themselves, or went to college, or did something to get out of service. Right. And even then, there are still gaps you have to fill. I mean, there's tens of thousands of, of people you have to put in this war. Um, idea was for the contract soldiers in the model of the U.S. Army, they were known as the contract Nikki. In order to entice people into listing into the contract Nikki, they were paid a little bit better than conscripts, which is you know probably still not good. Um, but they were also completely removed from the normal military chain of command, they were put in their own units and had almost no oversight. Um, this ended up turning them into a little bit more than roving death squads. Um, they ignored rules, raped pretty much at will, burned down villages, got drunk, and went on, quote, hunts, which you can imagine what that means. They locked civilians up in basements and bowled live grenades down the stairs. They herded families into rooms and fired bursts of automatic weapons fire into them. They tortured at will and mutilated people for sport. And here's a quote from a detention camp soldier. From the Chernakazovo region. I'm sorry if I butchered that.
1: You fucked that up. Uh,
0: I'm, not I mean, sure I'm, if, too. I'm not sure if you know this, but bad Russian is, uh, is a natural language that I speak.
1: That's something we all speak. Uh,
0: the, the soldier said, quote, Here people are literally massacred. You should hear their screams. Howls of strong men in whom everything that can be broken is being broken. We'll
1: make them strong.
0: I imagine because they're supposed to be strong soldiers. I mean, generally people think of soldiers as at least something resembling a steady, strong, masculine person. They don't expect them to be you know, screaming out and crying for their mothers in a basement in Chechnya. Um, he said some are sodomized, others are forced to do it to one another. If there is hell, this is it.
1: Uh, that's totally fucked.
0: Yeah, and this is what the the contract Nikki were doing. This isn't what the Chechens were doing. Right. Um, none of this got Groucho fired. Not a single goddamn bit of it. Apparently, the bond that holds two drunks together in Russia is just too strong for the simple mass slaughter of your own people to break.
1: It's a fucking frat boy fucking party, and that's all it was.
0: You, I don't even know. Like this is beyond that because. In every other situation I can think of in history where someone got to the level they're at just because who they are and who they know, they would have been fired by now. Um, but he's still there. But the people were furious. Um, this isn't World War II or the Soviet War in Afghanistan where they could just crush outlets of popular anger. Right. I mean, this is in newspapers. This is on TV. People are seeing, like, wait, our kids aren't coming back. And the popular anger was palpable. Um and Russians now had something like a free press and shades of human rights. They could let them they could let Yeltsiv know about how unhappy they are. And they definitely did. Soldiers' mothers began to voice their outrage at the waste of their children's lives. And um that's when they started going to Grozny and doing their own negotiations to save their kids. I mean, that's nuts. Right. I mean, could you imagine like I don't know, fucking any if I got captured I can't see my mom flying to fucking Kandahar and trying to pick me up, you know?
1: I don't think my mom would. No. Yeah. She's already got four or five other kids,
0: so she'll We'll figure it. it out. Yeah. One <laughs>
1: won't be. Yeah. I got more to replace. Yeah. yeah. Uh,
0: so Yeltsin stood for re election in 1996, and he hardly won. And everybody knew why he hardly won, is because the war was going horrible, and his Minister of Defense is a complete fucking drunken shithead who kept marching their f- kids to die in waves. Um,. Seeing the writing on the wall and the angry voices of the soldiers' mothers, Yeltsin finally shit-canned Grachev, and the war ended with a Russian defeat at the Kots of Yurt Agreement shortly thereafter. Um, if you're thinking that this is the end of Grachev, you'd be wrong.
1: This motherfucker keeps coming back and back to war. He's
0: got stamina.
1: This guy's fucking slick.
0: Yeah. Grachev, like that drunken asshole friend that you had in high school, that just kept tripping backwards into success... Only a year after being fired by Yeltsin did his buddy find him another job and appoint him as head of the State Arms Export Corporation. That sounds familiar. It's effectively little more than an official title for what he did to strip the military bare of equipment. He was literally put in charge of the same state entity he had been bezeling from only a few years before. Um, I mean, say what you will about Yeltsin. I mean, his policies were shit. He killed, you know half a million of his own people and
1: yeah, he, let that he
0: let the oligarchs take control of, of Russia, which led to Putin. But goddamn, he wasn't a good friend. <laughs> <laughs> um, he lasted 10 fucking years in that role before he was fired again in 2007 by Vladimir Putin. Yeah. Um, this ended up being really the, the, the falling off point for Gratchev. he finally started to slow down in 2010, um, I mean, a life of, Hitting the bottle had left his liver looking something like he left Grozny, and he finally died in 2012. A shell of its
1: former self.
0: Yeah, full of corpses. (laughs) Um, He had never been seriously impacted or indicted for any of the murder, embezzlement, or incompetence that plagued his entire career, and instead died a hero of the Soviet Union in 2012. Somehow.
1: Not even during a scandal in fucking 07. Around that time, 08-07... With that fucking monopoly. You
0: know, and, you know, the craziest part of this whole thing is that there's not any, any re- revisionist history on this one, except in the West. Like, the Russians just, man, he's gone, whatever, move on. Like, I think it's maybe because they realize what happened to Kolodov and he's fucking dead. Um, but, you know, in 1998 is when that colonel was arrested um, for that um, that assassination and, nothing's come of it. And I mean, since then, it's obvious that nothing's ever going to happen to him or his, his legacy is going to be tarnished or his hero of whatever is going to be revoked because the last Russian assassin that got away with it when they killed Alexander like Likvinenko in England, ended up just getting promoted to the state fucking... Visionist history is, um, isn't really a thing there. They don't like see someone as a giant piece of shit, and then backtrack on it. Like, even today, Stalin actually has, like, a favorable view in most Russians' eyes. Um, he's from Georgia. Yeah.
1: Or Georgian. Or yeah, he's literally. he's
0: from the Republic of Georgia. His his uh, birth name was uh, Yusef Zhukasvili. Right. Um, yeah. But, I mean, the Russian Man of Steel wasn't Russian at all. Yeah. But you you can tell how they swept most of this under the rug even with some semblance of you know free press and you know nuance isn't their thing if, if you look at ukraine how it is now uh, i'm not saying russia's gonna full on send divisions over the border into the into donbass and steamroll the ukrainian army but i mean it's it started the same way in chechnya you know right um so if you don't have anything else, that's uh, I guess that's the way we close out the podcast. Um, this is actually the the longest podcast we've done somehow.
1: Well, my whole thing about the whole assassin thing with Russia...
0: The assassinations that they did.
1: Right. Their definition of assassinating and all that other shit is like some spy versus spy, some Acme type goofy shit. Well, that's how
0: I would see it is like some, uh, some motherfucker just sleeps a dude, you know? Like, they're not...
1: I see some fucking garage shit happening, some behind the scenes. Right. Like, like some cool 007 shit, not like... uh, I know in the First Chechen War they had this high leader in the Chechen military or militia force, whichever one, that they took out with two missiles. And I don't necessarily consider that assassination. Knowing that assassin... Assassin assassination technically means... A murder of an important person in surprise attack for political or religious reasons.
0: I mean, I guess technically it's an assassination, but it's not what I would picture. Yeah,
1: exactly. I see some, like I said, spy versus spy shit.
0: Yeah, some I mean, it's, it's kind of like how um, nowadays our assassination techniques are just drone strikes. And uh, I feel like there's... We, we need to have some Assassin's,
1: Assassin's Creed type shit. Hidden blades happen.
0: I um, know. Uh, we have flying death robots that fire Hellfire missiles at people.
1: I trust hidden blades and shit over that, because it's cool as fuck. And like, I play a video game.
0: I don't know, our our Black Ops people just kind of create secret prisons and torture people a lot instead. I don't know, that's a different topic entirely. That's true, yeah. Um, like, that can be a different topic. Uh, Though the Global War on Terrorism episode um, would just be like 100 parts long, it yeah. hasn't ended yet, so we're not going to get into <laughs> it. Um... So that's our uh, our episode. Um, you can follow us on Twitter uh, at JCast ninety nine, and Nick one. You can follow the podcast at Lions underscore by. And uh, thanks for you know the positive reception that everybody's having to my stupid historical facts that we post from time to time. Right. Um, we're there's a lot of pictures um, coming up because unlike a lot of the things that we've covered, this war is recent and. I mean, everybody had a camera. There's tons of video footage. There's tons of pictures of the aftermath, uh, aftermath of Grozny. I'll make sure to post those as soon as I can um, on Monday when this goes live. Um, like always, if you have any suggestions to us, I know some of you have, uh, leave them on Twitter, send them in a DM. Um, yeah, just let us know. Um, and we're trying to figure out a way to get some guests on who are something like subject matter experts rather than two drunken assholes in my guest bedroom um i think that was sleepover yeah having a weird sleepover apparently um anyway see you guys later have a good
1: one